a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. It's Friday, it's four o'clock, it's Short Fuse. How is everyone this week? Hope you are well. And a big shout out to my mate Dylan. Dylan, thanks very much, mate, for uh, Valentine's night. Yeah, so uh, I was asked last week by Kevin Corcoran what I was doing on Valentine's night. I was having a very cheap night. I took my other half and we went to see Aha. I didn't have to pay for it, which is even better. And uh, I have to say that actually, Aha, um, I mean, he looks bloody good for his age, I'll tell you that much. But really, I don't think acoustic sets are great. But hey, the sun always shines on TV. Anyway, let's get on with the stories this week. We've got a packed show for you. And uh, later on, we'll be doing something very important. We'll be talking about cyber security in my viewpoint. But the story of the week. Well, that is all about fashion. Fashion and fracking. You can tell by my sartorial elegance today. The, uh, you know, the old um, lumberjack shirt that uh, fashion is something that's very close to my heart. Well, it's also very close to Vivian Westwood's heart and so is fracking. So earlier this week, she and a whole bunch of students went out onto the streets of London. And what did they do? They went to protest outside the offices of INEOS. Now, INEOS is a uh, shale gas extraction company, a fracking company. And they set up some sort of little kind of catwalky thing and they all booed and yeah, whatever. And it was all about kind of, you know, protesting against it. <clears throat> Not so much um, just the general protesting against uh, INEOS, but also protesting against the fact that INEOS won a court case against protesting at certain sites last year. And now uh, uh, Vivian Westwood's son was part of the team. You'll see him there with a little beret, I think. And he was now saying, well, we're going to fight it in the Court of Appeal. Uh, Ineos themselves have actually put out a, a statement saying that they basically were not against people having the peaceful right to protest. What they were saying is they were against people intimidating staff and trespassing on their property. And the fact that this protest was allowed to happen outside their own offices uh, shows that they're not against people being against fracking. So what's my thoughts on all this? Well, um, nothing wrong with it, right? Everyone has the right to protest about whatever they feel and fracking is definitely a contentious issue for many, many people. We've had lots of stories over the years uh, where we've gone and we've seen, you know, well, probably three, four years ago, it was huge down in Balcombe and uh, up in the north. Since then, we've had a, a fluctuating picture with fracking because we've had uh, fracking sort of being given the go-ahead. The government, uh, when um, uh, David Cameron was still in charge, uh, was going for this office for, for sort of unconventional gas, and that's all there. Uh, and yet there's been several kind of problems for fracking companies with local councils banning it, not allowing it, etc., etc. So... Do I really care that a bunch of privileged fashionistas have decided to take over central London and put their case? Not really. The fact that they can make their claims, they, that's fine. But what I did find quite hilarious is, hang on a second, you've got someone here protesting about the environment, and yet we know the fashion industry, and I'm not sure about Vivian Westwood, I'm sure she's probably fine with where she sources her materials, but the fashion industry has well been known for doing uh, exploiting people in uh, developing nations and the environment, so I find it quite rich that rich people who ponce about in the fashion world are then going out and spending their day protesting in London. And as for the students, well, they just wanted some money, I don't blame them, why not, why else would you do it? 
Does it matter? Not really in the scale of things. What does matter is what the general public does, not what a bunch of celebs or has-beens or whatever they do, right? What matters is whether the general public want it or not. And opinion is split. The government should do what is needed when it's needed and we need energy. So if fracking works and the local council, which by the way represents you and me, decides that it's okay because they've got us at their heart of their decision making fine if that local council says no we don't want to do it fine that's the way it should be that's called democracy that's the way it, it works protests are all very well and good but being lectured by a bunch of you know sartorially and mentally challenged people not for me uh moving on right so utility firms and fines for their digging up of the roads this is a cracker. So today we've had a story saying that basically um, the Department of Transport is thinking of fining uh, people who are digging up our roads, causing us endless grief. Georgie constantly drives in, says it's roadworks. Truth is, he's just late, but there are roadworks on there. It doesn't like coming. Absolutely. Up the road here in uh, Muswell Hill, we've got roadworks uh, right now, uh, a water main going on. But funnily enough, literally a year ago, that was being dug up for a power cable. And just two years before that, it was being dug up for gas main. Now, obviously, utility work needs to happen. But this scheme, I think, sounds really good. So what will happen is you will be told that if you don't do your work by the time you say it will be done. So whenever you see roadworks, it says from whatever date to whatever date. Uh, the proposal is uh, councils will have the power to find these utility companies two and a half grand a day. I think that's pretty good. They're also trying to say, why are you digging up in the day? Why don't you dig up where it's possible at night? Yeah, or use weekends or do things. How frustrating is it for all of us when we go across something and it's all dug up and there's no one working there? I mean, what is the point? Um, the Street Works UK, which is the trade body for utilities, has said, whoa, 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 whoa. This sounds all very good for you guys, but at the end of the day, it's going to cost the consumer more. Because if we can't get this work done and we're getting fined, then we're going to have to pay for it and we're going to have to pass it on. So they're not keen on it. But let's just look at these two quick facts. Two and a half million roadworks in Britain every year. Two and a half million, right? It's only about 68 million people in the country, right? So two and a half million roadworks every year, costing about four billion to the economy in people being late. So anything that can help uh, get rid of that is a good good thing to do. Whether it'll ever happen, I don't know. And how you would actually police it, I'm also not sure. You're not going to have the coppers going around and go, oh mate, you should have dug that hole and finished it two days ago. So it'll involve the council being, uh, you know, inspecting. But as an idea, a good one. And then the final story in this section is all about vehicle leasing. Now, vehicle leasing, big in the corporate world, is obviously what you do. You buy a whole bunch of cars, and obviously you don't want to spend money on cars, so you lease the cars. That's your corporate fleet, whether it's vans, whether it's um, cars for salespeople, whatever it is. And generally, corporate leasing is how uh, you know all big companies ha have done. They replace their fleets and they maintain. Well, there's a company called Arval who are now getting into... Um, Electric vehicles. Yeah. So they're going to corporate uh, lease electric vehicles. They're teaming up with Renault, Nissan. They'll also be doing some, uh, putting in some charging points in workplaces and providing people maps of charging places. I think this is really, really very interesting because 
If you're going to have the shift to electric vehicles, well, the big thing is, yes, we as the individual consumer might do it, but most of us do a journey for less than probably two miles a day, right? Most car journeys in this country are less than two miles a day. Corporates, however, and corporate fleets do loads of miles, whether it's a delivery van or it's lorries or it's salesmen on the road. So if you suddenly have the option of replacing your entire fleet with EVs, well, that's got to be good. And it'll also encourage the take up of all that charging infrastructure, the use of energy and battery storage. So in, in essence, I think Arbel are, are, are really quite ahead of the curve here because if they can get enough people taking this up, you could find this is a really good way to accelerate the number of electric vehicles that we have in the country. So that's the three stories I've got. I will be having more uh, with the reporters. But uh, this week, I've got a very interesting chat all about cybersecurity, and that's coming up in Viewpoint. This week's Viewpoint is all about, well, what else would it be about? Cybercrime. There's no way you can go without hearing about cybercrime. And over the last well, year and a half, perhaps, we've done a lot of stories on Energy Live News all about cybercrime and how it might affect the energy sector. Thankfully, we haven't had anything so far in the UK, but last year there was a case of an attack or a, a suspected attack in the US. We've obviously had the attack on the NHS that happened uh, last year. And you might say, well, NHS, uh, you know, energy, completely different. Well, no, they're two vital parts of uh, our, our infrastructure of society. And there's been a lot of issues around whether the whole change from an analog energy system to a digital one will make the energy sector much more vulnerable to that. Well, this week there's been a special report all about that, which caught my eye. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined from Israel by the author of that report, Marina Kidron from Skybox Security. Hello, Marina. Hello. Um, your report, you looked at something which uh, you'll have to explain to me, OT, Operational Technology in Utilities. Tell us firstly what that is and why these things are vulnerable to potential cyber attack. Okay, so first of all, we have the regular IT technologies and networks and environments. Uh, these are usually um, uh, manage their security on a regular basis. And there is the parallel world of operational technology, which gets less attention. Um, and like, obviously it should, because um, they manage super critical infrastructure. It's all it's the energy market, um, gas, oil, water implantation, like different critical infrastructure that without it, um, um, a government, a country, it's having a, um, a problem to run or it, it manages a critical infra. When you talk um, about, sorry to interrupt, but what, what do you mean by operational technology? What is OT? So it includes um, the SCADA infrastructure, the monitoring uh, tools, um, centrifuges to nuclear facilities. Right. Um, so all the actual critical infrastructure that occurs when, when it takes uh, gas out of the, um, the soil, um, obviously it operates on machines and these machines running software um, and this software needs to be secured. Like okay, so now I'm getting it. So you're talking about, for, for example, in a gas turbine, there'll be um, valves that turn on and off uh, on a computer program that let the flow of gas. It's, it's that bit that you're talking about. Exactly. And it includes the management software, the operational software itself, 
all the security um, infrastructure that requires when, when there is too much gas going on in the pipe, somebody has to shut it down automatically because obviously um, if there's going to be more gas than the, um, the pipe can handle, it won't go well. So all this is running software behind it. And this is part of the operational technology world. What have you found? What's your report saying about this then? Okay, so operational technology is a different domain than the regular IT. So it both vulnerable to specific OT vulnerabilities. It runs software by, created by specific vendors, Siemens, General Electric, um, vendors that are um, focused on these type of uh, devices. So these infrastructures are suffer um, usually from poor visibility to what's vulnerable, what's going on within my network. In the IT world, we have a bunch of tools that gets us, gives us visibility to what's the current status of my software and how secure it is. Um, the definition of what exactly my attack surface can be is a bit more challenging in the OT world. So, um, is this the fact that we've got these systems, you know, legacy systems from, as I was saying in the, in the intro, energy has been a very analog world, you know, valves and pipes, and then we've put in some computers to, to run them. But those programs are, are not sort of updated like we have our, our iPhones or whatever, and we get software updates. They're not being updated enough. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So the, the update is the real problem. It, it's a software and as, as any software, it requires security up, upgrades on a regular basis because otherwise they might not be secure enough. Um, but the OT world suffers from um, specific challenges of how to upgrade the software because obviously we need to uh, make sure that the upgrade won't um, ruin my pipes, uh, valves, oh. etc. Yeah. So um, the patching process uh, is a bit more challenging. It requires downtime, um, has to be done in a very specific time frame. It's just more challenging. And I'm not even talking about uh, less people that have the technical expertise to handle this in the OT uh, world. Do you think, um, um, Marina, that there's, um, in a way, that people go, well, it's an issue we need to deal with, but I, I can't take my gas turbine offline or my nuclear power. Let's just leave it for now. Let's not worry about it. And we'll, we'll do something the other end. Is there some sort of, uh, I wouldn't say negligence, but a, a feeling that this, it's so complicated that they're trying to, they just ignore it because why would you do it right now? I don't think they ignore it because the, um, the threats are all there and it's um, the potential damage is huge. Um, last year, we've seen quite a few examples, and recently in December, there's there was another um, attack. It, the details hasn't been fully disclosed. It, it was called uh, Trident. Mm -hmm. um, it targeted um, probably one country in the Middle East, um, and any attack on a critical infrastructure is is secure. Is severe. The potential damage is huge, so nobody can actually say, "Oh, um, I won't do that." Uh, but the real challenge is how um, properly address uh, the security uh, management process. Um, so our general approach at Skybox is that one, um, the receipt is to, do, to manage the defenses in the, the attack surface um, holistically manner. Uh, this includes the OT world as well as the regular IT. And we um, offer a threat-centric vulnerability management approach. It's like, okay, you don't have to protect everything um, equally. First of all, what, gotcha. where are your critical infrastructures are? 
Mm-hmm. So start with these. And what's the attack vector? What's the uh, the actual threat you're uh, facing against? Um, just prioritize against previously known threats. If the same vulnerability or the same weakness was already in use in a parallel company um, product that you you have uh, within your network, this probably uh, is the first and foremost priority. Can I ask you something? Uh, obviously, I mean, you're looking at it globally and here in the UK, we've had uh, this, uh, I'm sure it's happening everywhere and, and, and you guys are an international company, but smart, you know, smart technology, putting um, chips into meters, putting uh, kind of uh, SIM cards into readers so they start sending data. Are we opening up ourselves for a world of pain with this? Because as things become more interconnected, there are more levels of attack where someone can suddenly just attack a particular valve because a particular valve happens to have a SIM card in it and you can get a frequency or it has a, a, you know, a chip in it that can be attacked. Do you see this being a, a, a more complex program, problem as we do more, much more smart technology and energy? Of course, as we connect more devices to the internet, there just becomes more um, accessible um, remotely. Uh, so yeah, definitely, this is, increases our attack surface and then we need to protect it more. The real challenge is, is a lot of the IoT devices are, we call them smart, but they usually not properly configured um, from the security perspective. They usually- still, um, still got the basic password, zero, 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 something like that. Yes, or admin, admin, or like default passwords. Uh, so misconfiguration is a, is a pain. Um, usually the OT world, the energy sectors, etc. this is not the main problem because there the system is properly um, configured because it's being treated as an important asset. Mm. Another challenge is this um, OT world also suffers from regular IT vulnerabilities. Um, it runs, it has windows within uh, the network. Um, it is in a, in a very big percentage, it's connected to the internet. So the valves, et cetera, also connected to the, to the internet. Our statistics say something around 80% of the OT networks are connected remotely from the wow. internet, accessible remotely. Um, so what a cry. I thought yeah. that energy systems were normally needed to be secure, so they were on intranets or not. But you're saying that's not the case. Yeah, they need to be secure. This is for sure. But usually, for the vast majority, they're connected to the internet from because it's convenient, because it's more yeah, just get more access easily. Um, managing an isolated network is a bigger challenge. So the vast majority of them are connected to the internet somehow. What would you suggest, Marina, to a big utility company, uh, a water company, energy company? What would you say for them if they said, right, well, um, okay, that sounds great. I realize that there might be an issue. What would be their first step? What, what, what should they do? An audit? Uh, uh, a sort of general, just general software update? What, what should they do? Uh, properly manage um, the software updates and the holistic um, treatment for the attack surface entirely. Um, know what your current status is and try to prioritize the, the security issues properly against uh, the threats uh, that are in mind. So you have to have some sort of system to being aware of what the recent threats are, um, what's the the recent malware vulnerabilities being used in the wild in my sector. Uh, properly um, segmentize my network, separate whatever can be separated, um, manage this 
is an ongoing thing, uh, requires constant, um, constant prioritization because the amount of issues that needs to be done, the amount of vulnerabilities or configuration issues is huge. Um, so start with the, the important assets and the important um, vulnerabilities that has to be patched. And, and finally, uh, as we as consumers, you know, we will start having, I don't know, a smart fridge. We'll have cars that have, you know, cars have SIM cards in them now and chips. Do you think some of this stuff will actually end up going to the consumer as well? That there'll be a, a, an issue about kind of how utilities, you know, that if they interconnect with us with smart meters and smart fridges, this Internet of Things, as you mentioned, then we as consumers might also be vulnerable to people snooping or doing something uh, as a cyber attack. Definitely. Last year, there was a nice demonstration of uh, remote hacking to a Jeep um, car. Uh, remotely hijacking a, a driving car. Um, so as consumers, we also need to be some some sort of uh, security awareness level. We need to make sure our devices, our smart devices, it doesn't mean it doesn't matter if it's a car, refrigerator, a light bulb, etc., has to be properly um, patched. So once the vendor uh, recommends a software update, the same way we patch our phone and run software upgrades on our mobile device. Um, the same way we need to make sure our smart devices, no matter what they are, need to be um, constantly updated uh, to make sure they're um, protected against the known threats. Excellent. Marina, thank you so much for your time. Marina there from Skybox Security. Thanks a lot. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Are we protecting ourselves, the whole new sort of world that we're going to have of interconnection? What's your view? Are your companies out there doing enough for cybersecurity? Are you allowed to use your own personal devices? There's all of that coming up. Get in touch. You know the usual address. You can email me. You can tweet us. Okay, I thought I'd got rid of him, but he's back. It's the Hack Hutch next. Hello. Last week was great. She was here. She did a fantastic job. And I stuck with her. And normal again. services returned. <laughs> yeah. Young man, how are we? Uh, yep, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, now, you have a very good story that I found very interesting to kick mm. off. Tell me more. Uh, yeah, well, it's my dream to happen in the UK because uh, I spend loads of money on uh, my travel to work. Um, but Worth every penny. Yeah, because Sumit's decided to put the office in North London, which is really convenient for everyone. Uh, but yeah, so in Germany, uh, they're considering basically making all public transport free in five cities to start with to see how it goes. Wow. Um, but those are the five most heavily polluted cities in Germany, apparently, because lots of people drive cars and so on. So hopefully by everyone getting on the train or bus, that's uh, just a, a lot more efficient way of travelling. Right, so. so give me some of the cities that they're going to do it in then. Okay, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but we have the city of Bonn. Yes. Essen. Yes. Herrenberg. Okay. Rutlingen. Rutlingen, yeah. Uh, and Mannheim. Okay, Mannheim, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, now Bonn I've been to, and I've also been to Essen. Essen's a very big industrial town. Were they polluted? Yeah, be quiet, George. Uh, so what are they going to do then? Hang on, How, who's paying for it? How's it all working? Because I can't imagine the transport um, companies are happy of giving everyone a free ride. Uh, no, so the local government will be paying for that. Um, because wow. the, I think actually in Germany, most of the transport networks like buses and trains are already owned by the, the local the councils right, and state yeah. and stuff. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know where they're kind of, they're going to lose a lot of revenue, obviously. 
Uh, don't know how they're going to patch that up, but yeah, they're, they're trying it. I mean, we have it obviously New Year's Eve, which is normally always sponsored on yeah. YouTube, yeah? So you get the free New Year's travel mm. brought to you by someone. Um, when are they planning to do this? Has it started yet, or have you have you found out? No, it's just going to start. It's, it hasn't started yet, but it's going to start in the next uh, couple of months. Um, but I guess, like going back to our last point, yeah. with the money, um, I, th I think they they're hoping that the negative costs and externalities yeah. of reducing pollution kind of pays for itself. You know. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, fire, fire. Yep, fire in London. Uh, so I don't know. I was surprised by this, but London burns more than half of its waste. Um, what? Yeah, so at first I thought that was just, you know, burning it That's outside bonkers. or something. Yeah. But it turns out that is burning it in waste to energy facilities. Right. Uh, which sounds like it's a good thing if, you know, half of our waste is actually producing electricity. Uh, but this new report basically suggests uh, that because that waste is largely unsorted and, um, you know, where I live, for instance, or it's in, in lots of places they don't have food collections, mm. they don't have separate recycling collections, uh, so basically, a lot of the waste that is burned is food, which could be used for, you know, uh, composting. Uh, a lot of that waste is plastic bottles, which shouldn't be burnt because it goes into the atmosphere and lots of chemicals. Uh, other stuff, uh, there's paper in there, which could be recycled. So basically, a lot of stuff is being burnt that we could make better use of. So Did you say 50%? Uh, it's, more, it's more than half. So I think, don't quote me, I think it's 53%. That's staggering. Um, yeah. Uh, a couple of years back, you went to a waste facility, didn't you, where they were burning stuff? South London. South London, there you go. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, if you ever travel on the North Circular, you'll see there's a big, huge sort of chimney halfway along the North Circular uh, near Edmonton, and that's the, one of the, the, the places. Yeah. I get what you're saying. One part of it's good because it means we're reusing stuff. But mm. the other thing is, it's not great to be still burning stuff, is it? Uh, no, I guess it all comes down to whether, you know, I, don't, I haven't actually looked into it enough about how efficient most waste to energy plants are. Because if they're really efficient, and then it's still bad burning it, but maybe it's better than, you know, burning gas or coal or how it, it depends. That how, sounds like a story, Johnny. It depends how we're generating the rest of our power. Worth you investigating then, maybe yeah, next yeah. week. We'll look into that one more. Shut up, George. <laughs> and then finally, finally, um, uh, Pree's favourite person. Lizzie herself. Liz. Yeah. Liz yeah. Hurley. So it's a story about, no, not, not Liz Hurley. Uh, no, slightly more attractive, Liz. Uh, the Sorry, Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth herself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she, uh, yeah, so the Queen, I don't know how she weighs, something like that. Um, she has banned single use plastic straws, cutlery, plates, bottles, uh, stuff like that. Hang on, how has the Queen even got that? She must have just Wedgwood China and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, she says, oh, the peasants are using plastic in, in, uh, in, the, grounds, in, in the grounds of the palace. So yeah. Stop them doing it, please. So she's actually going to ban it in all the royal palaces then? Uh, yeah, so staff won't be able to use them anymore. This is like bottled water and vending machines, say, in the staff uh, staff room or something. Right. Uh, gift shops, for instance, won't sell. Wow. Like disposable plastic Sustainable or queenie. something. Sustainable uh, queenie. Yeah. yeah. And apparently she was inspired because she's been watching David Attenborough's programs on TV. And Short Fuse, obviously. Uh, and Short Fuse. Hello, Your Highness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really yeah. Nice stories. Uh, yeah, that's all great. What about when you're going to get rid of your like massive like Land Rovers and all the other stuff she's got? Yeah. Come on, Queenie. She needs security. She needs security. The hell. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's good. Even the Queen's going green. Yep, she is. So you could have done that line first. No, couldn't be bothered. Fine. All right. <laughs> okay, that's it. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it from me.
Apart from, you can always contact me and Pri on stories at energylivenews.com uh, and let us know if you have any stories you're, you think we'd be interested in running or you have any criticisms you want to direct with us. <laughs> that, that is pages, reams. Yeah. But uh, as I said, I'm going to send him and Pri out more. So if you're watching this, you've got a story you'd like to have this charming face turning up at your offices or your place of work. Or Buckingham Palace. Or so perhaps somewhere absolutely kind of stinky where you're doing things. Yeah. Fatbergs. Fatbergs. Yeah. Yeah. All right, go on then. Bugger off. Bye. Goodbye. Let's just do some dates for your diary. So uh, it's all cracking on. Uh, starting with Elk Energy Live Consultancy Conference taking place on uh, March the 22nd. Uh, we have uh, a lot of you already signed up if you're a broker. So uh, please make sure you register. The content is all on the website now. We've got a pretty good agenda and delighted to announce that we'll be pulling together our headline panel. One of the headline speakers will be uh, Simon Cox from EY, who will be talking about where the economic sort of pressures will be, particularly with price pricing, uh, once uh, we get way into the sort of the Brexit side of things. Now, uh, June the 7th, been plugging it for ages, uh, Energy Live Future at the Siemens Crystal. Uh, don't forget that one. You're an energy end user. You've been invited to that. As we said on the website, we have the CEO of Mars One who will be giving the headline speech. And then just a couple of weeks later after that, on the 28th of June, the award winning, the best awards event in the country, Telka is back. So uh, we'll be seeing you there. Uh, Fredo, any shout outs? From the number one fan, is that my mum? Kevin Corcoran. And what has Kevin said this week then? As the Mary Berry of the energy world, yes. What do I have planned this Well, I was going to go out with you, Kevin, but you're so under the thumb, you said you didn't come out, hey? That's true. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to go and test drive a really large polluting car just to see the other side of the world. Uh, and then what else will I do? Uh, probably pretty much nothing else except watch loads of weird 80s films because we know what they're about, don't we, Kev? Anyway, less of the electric blue. Um, right, uh, before I go, talking of films, do you like that little segue? Uh, <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. So, Netflix has got a film on, and it will be for me to give them more publicity, called The Cloverfield Paradox. So uh, it's kind of a monster movie, space movie, whatever. Uh, you might have seen Cloverfield. It was a really good film, came out a few years ago, and there's been a couple more sequels. The reason I wanted to talk about this is simply because I started watching it last night, and frankly, it's pretty crap. The first bit's all right, yeah. second bit's terrible. Yeah, actually, I agree with George, most of it's terrible. But the premise is brilliant. The premise is the world's run out of energy. We've run out of energy and there's power cuts everywhere. And the only way to save the world is to send a bunch of scientists, obviously, into a death trap of a spacecraft that fires the Higgs boson and, you know, puts into interdimensional crisis. So um, it's a load of pants, but I do like the energy line. So uh, if you're into that, watch it. Um, that's apparently, I think, uh, what have we got planned next week? Uh, oh, it's Ideas Day next week. So God knows what they're going to come up with. We'll see you next Friday. Until then, everyone, including Kevin Corcoran, take care.